Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend and a good Mother's Day. I am in Washington, D.C. I'm here with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Washington Watch event. Broadcasting today from the offices of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Tomorrow, I will be broadcasting from USDA. I came here hoping to get away from the rain, and it's just followed me out here. It's a rainy day in our nation's capital. Well, lots to talk about on our program today. Trade, we're going to get an update on the clean water rule. We're going to talk disaster aid, where are we with that? And an update on African swine fever, no shortage of big issues. But no doubt, right at the top of the list, everybody's talking trade and especially what's going on between the U.S. and China. Joining me here in the uh, offices of the American Farm Bureau Federation, someone you hear quite often on AOA. Good to have him right across the table from me, Dave Salmonson. He is Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, uh, when you walked in, I said, never a dull moment when it comes to trade, right? You know, there's always something happening, especially in uh, these days between the U.S. and China. Okay, so we know that um, the higher tariffs are in effect now for Chinese products coming into the U.S. Now China has announced they are. Um, as we expected, uh, they're not taking that lightly, so now they are imposing more tariffs too. Yes, just uh, just a little while ago, China announced that they would impose increased tariffs on about $60 billion of U.S. exports to China. They have kept it in the same lane as the U.S., meaning when last Friday, when the U.S. raised the tariffs, from 10% to 25% on that $200 billion of Chinese goods. That was a group of products where these 10% tariffs were put on last September. And China did retaliate back then. Now they're increasing their retaliation anywhere from 5% to 25% depending on the goods. So they're keeping it in the same area, measuring the response. It's not what you would call an escalation in a sense that it's something different, but it's a response to what the U.S. did. Now, the products in there are, there There are ag products in that group, and we haven't yet, you know, again, this is brand new news, so we haven't seen any lists yet. But the group of products in there weren't the major commodity products like we saw uh, earlier last year. That was what China did was in response to the 25% tariff the U.S. put on back in July. So this is a different group of products. It includes things like honey products, live plants, flowers, Coffee, tea, cocoa, uh, potato products, vegetable oils, sunflower seeds, a lot of prepared foods, beers, liquors. So more, you know, in the more you might say more in the supermarket ready products than major commodities. There is a lot of posturing going on between the two countries, and you know the president talking about uh, the government buying uh, what would have been sold or purchased by China that the. The U.S. government's going to purchase it. That's raised some eyebrows. Hey, we've been down that road before. But I know you feel that a lot of this is posturing, and the fact that they're still going to keep talking is a is a silver lining in all of this. Yeah, remember, this is all in the context of the fact of ongoing trade negotiations. The Chinese delegation was here last week for about two days. It doesn't seem from reports that much came of it, but even though the president had announced that tariffs were going up, they still came over. Uh, we're hearing that uh, a delegation from the U.S. will go over to Beijing soon. So the talks continue. This is about, uh, you might say, increasing leverage, increasing pressure on the negotiations, trying to bring them to an end. There is still discussion of President Trump and President Xi perhaps meeting at the G20 meeting in Japan uh, in June. So, again, I think this is ongoing. Uh, we'll see how all of this back and forth works out. Does it really help? I mean, while these negotiations really, which got started, uh, you might say, in January, that tariff increase on the $200 billion of Chinese imports was delayed. It was scheduled to go into effect up to 25% on January 1st. It was delayed twice, and then now it came into effect. So, let us uh, watch, and uh, we will certainly be letting uh, everyone know that uh, agriculture needs this to get resolved. Um, 
looking forward to a continuing and increasing tariffs is not anything we're interested in doing. In your opinion, is there more pressure on one country or the other to get a deal done? I think the pressure is fairly equal. I think China certainly you know, is having some economic troubles now. Uh, they're such a large exporter to the U.S. Remember, they send us about $550 billion a year worth of goods. We send them about $150 billion. So tariffs on them you know, hurt a large sections of their economy. Their tariffs on us hurt large sections of our economy, especially agriculture. So I think there's great desire on both sides to move on to something else, to hopefully get a deal, unwind the tariff regime, try to get back to normal market patterns. But uh, at this point, there's still, uh, I think, these negotiations, as we know, are occurring at the highest level in both governments. And a lot at stake, a lot on the line. We're talking with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Meanwhile, we know Secretary Purdue is kind of leading the charge now on getting a trade deal done with Japan. What, how do you uh, rate the likelihood of that happening anytime soon? Yeah. Well, we certainly would want that to happen. That's been set up so that while there is a comprehensive free trade agreement negotiation that could be happening, the issues surrounding agriculture and autos have been put to the front of the line, meaning instead of going through the 30 chapters and all the things that it takes and usually a very long-term negotiation to get a big comprehensive free trade agreement done, trying to set up and get solved the tariff issues that Japan has on U.S. agriculture, the issues relating to autos, help that be in one package they can resolve quickly. And, of course, the U.S. and U.S. agriculture, since we're falling behind our competitors, those who have tariff advantages from the uh, Trans-Pacific, the new Trans-Pacific Partnership, the European Union, which has a trade deal with Japan, uh, they're facing lower tariff barriers than the U.S. is. So we want to deal with Japan. We want to get those tariffs equalized so we're not suffering tariff disadvantages and increase our share into the Japanese market. Another kicker that might be in there is that at the end of the week, um, there is a potential, just a potential, but the president uh, can make a decision about auto tariffs. Now, those were things that were put on. There was an investigation by the Department of Commerce. Uh, tariffs on imported autos and auto parts could go up to 25%, depending on uh, what the president chooses to do. So that could, uh, an announcement on that could be coming up this weekend or could be delayed. So that's a a thing that uh, overarches the discussions with Japan. Well, we know the president likes tariffs. We'll see what comes there. And quickly on USMCA, it looks like a rocky road to get this thing passed. How do you see it? Well, I think uh, we've been doing a lot of work. Uh, Everybody has here in Washington, around the country. I think that there's a lot of support for North American trade, a lot of support for the USMCA, but there are obstacles. The biggest obstacle, or at least one of the biggest, is the whole issue of the steel and aluminum tariffs with Canada and Mexico. There's others, but that's the big one. All right, Dave, uh, again, lots lots going on. Hopefully we're going to get a win here somewhere soon. We need it. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Thanks, Dave. More from here in Washington, D.C. at the AFBF offices coming up. Stay with us here on AOA. Talk, 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about, the one you know and can trust, Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level dawn reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust. Everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. To learn how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, to make our country safer, to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels and oil alternatives, solutions for a brighter, more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, financial issues, farm or business problems, and fear of losing the farm impacts farmers' mental health. That's according to a, a new poll that is sponsored by the American Farm Bureau Federation. May is Mental Health Month, and we're talking now with Ray Atkinson, American Farm Bureau Federation Director of Strategic Communications. Ray, thank you for joining us. Tell us more about this poll that uh, Farm Bureau sponsored. We're all aware of the challenging farm economy right now. We know it's having an impact um, on farmers and ranchers. So uh, we partnered with uh, we had Morning Consult conduct a research poll for us, uh, 2,000 rural adults across the country. And as you mentioned, financial issues are really on top. The top three things, financial issues, farm business problems, and fear of losing the farm are the top three things that we're hearing that are really uh, impacting farmers' mental health right now. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. I am in Washington, D.C., broadcasting today from the offices of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, water this spring is a big topic, uh, too much in many, many places, and delaying planting, a lot of flooding issues. Uh, there's another water issue we've been watching for some time now, and that is uh, trying to get a new clean water rule in place. And Don Parrish, Senior Director of Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, joins me now. Don, thanks for joining us. I, I ask you this question as you and I were uh, just talking a few moments ago. Is it harder to get a rule in place, or is it harder to change an existing rule? You said both are equally hard, right? And we're seeing that in this process. Uh, yes, we are. And one of the things I think people need to be aware of is that I think we're now starting to see the dominoes line up. Uh, this administration has kind of done their homework on the repeal of the 2015 rule, so I'm hoping over the next three to six months this administration will move to to you know, finish a final agency action and repeal that, that 2015 rule that the, the, that the Obama administration put into place. Uh, then I think somewhere in the, you know, the 10 to 12 month period, uh, we're going to see them finalize the rule that they just took comments on. Uh, you know, from a very high level, you know, it does everything I think we want it to do in the area of tributaries. I think it does a really good job in terms of of, of dealing with, with wetlands that are adjacent to those tributaries and making sure that they're, they're you know, regulated, you know, in the federal space. 
clean water, clear rules, I think we're we're moving in that direction. So if we're sitting here at this table a year from now, you think we'll have a new rule? Uh, I do. Uh, I, I do. I think 12 months for sure we'll have a finalized rule that puts into place something that clarifies the definition of tributary uh, and does so in ways that's going to be protective of water quality. Uh, we're also going to define uh, adjacent wetlands and those that are jurisdictional in ways that are going to be protective of wetlands. And, you know, I think those are, are good steps forward for farmers and ranchers. But you do anticipate some tweaking of this proposed rule, right? We do. Uh, for sure, this whole issue of, of drawing the line between intermittent streams, those that flow at least seasonally, and those that only flow in response to rainfall events or the things that are called ephemerals. Like we're seeing right now, a lot of those happening. Absolutely. We're seeing a lot of those. Uh, I think we're going um, uh, to see the agency sharpen their pen on that a little bit. And one of the things that, that Farm Bureau encouraged, and I, I know people were kind of all over the board, but one of the things Farm Bureau encouraged was for the agency to look back as to what they've been doing over a long period of time. And we think, you know, they need to put a put a, at least a duration uh, metric on, you know, the distinction between what is ephemeral and what is intermittent. Uh, we recommended 90 continuous days of flow uh, during the growing season. So we think that's an important component to to defining what is truly an aquatic resource and a stream. Everything else then would be either a ditch, an erosion feature, or something that carries water when it rains. You know, we think that's a reasonable approach and one that allows farmers to protect water quality, but yet allows the nation to protect, you know, you know, streams, things that are aquatic in nature. Yeah, because you look around the Midwest this spring, and there's a lot of water in places. There's usually not water. And under that old rule, that would... Yeah, you know those areas that are just wet now because of the the weather we've had would fall under that old rule, right? I mean, and even though in a few weeks it it feels like it's never going to go away right now, but you know soon hopefully that those areas won't have water in them. That is exactly right, Mike. It, the thing that this old rule, this 2015 rule, is it gave the federal government a lot of discretion. You know, the indiscretion means a lot of ability just to kind of broadly define what is a stream by virtue of where water could run. Um, I think this new rule, it doesn't necessarily, you know, completely, you know, it does a good job in drawing a line. It doesn't say that those waters aren't regulated, but they surely, if you're out there on the outer fringes where you're, you're really more regulating land use than you are aquatic systems, you know, those are going to be regulated by the state. Everything else is going to be regulated by the feds, and I think that, that provides us a really good opportunity to, to have a good debate, both nationally, it, what, needs to be, what needs to be protected for water quality purposes, and then ultimately at the state level, you know, how to balance out those important social, economic, and environmental considerations. So this will give more authority to the states? I wouldn't say more authority. It just clarifies the authority that already exists which gets it closer <laughs> gets it closer to the land the landowners right uh, I think so I think it also gets it closer to the statute and that's what's important you know Congress didn't just use the term navigable for no reason whatsoever and and you know your listeners should understand that that Congress doesn't use words that they don't intend for the agencies to provide some meaning to so navigable is an important part of the Clean Water Act. I think that's this rule and the way in which the, this administration is drawing the line, you know, provides some fidelity to that. Um, I think the last administration really overreached in that area. Uh, and I think they're backed up by the way the Supreme Court has ruled in this area. So, you know, I'm pretty gratified that they listened. They looked at the statute. They looked at what they have been doing. They looked at kind of the width and breadth of input they got from not only stakeholders like farmers, but also states, I think we're going to have a really good rule. We're talking with Don Parrish, Senior Director of Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, what about the legal challenges that are sure to come on this? Mike, that's, that's going to create a lot of uncertainty around the country. And I, I can promise you that that the 2015 rule, even if it gets withdrawn, is going to make its way to the Supreme Court what's being litigated out there right now. I think the repeal of the 2015 rule will ultimately go to the Supreme Court, and I think this new rule is going to go ultimately to the Supreme Court. The question in everybody's mind is, you know, how does that stack up? 
you know, the, you know, again, if the Supreme Court calls balls and strikes, we think they're going to be in the in the better position of calling balls and strikes. And what what was proposed, and we finished commenting on in April, we think that is very very legally defensible, and we think that that more closely reflects not only the the statute and the use of the term navigable, but also the 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 Constitution and the constitutional authority that the Clean Water Act is is kind of hinged to. We think it's on pretty solid footing. This is such a huge issue. If we think back to the last election, and when you talk to farmers going into that election, and you ask them what was the top issues concerning them that they were hoping to be addressed, this rule was right at the top of that list. Now, of course, China and trade and uh, also now weather concerns about planting and, and low market prices, those are dominating the headlines. But this is a key issue that we can't lose sight of because it it's still there. Maybe it's not getting the front burner uh, attention that it once was, but it's still a critical issue. It, it is a critical issue, and it's one that, you know, members that are, you know, not only members of the Farm Bureau, but members of the corn growers or members of pork producers, you know, all of the ag organizations here in D.C. are paying very close attention to this issue. It's one that our members got very passionate about because they understood that it was going to impact the way they use their land. So we're going to pay attention to it. If we need to call producers back in and say, you know, you need to kind of raise this up as a political issue as we go into the 2020 elections, we can do that. But right now, I feel very comfortable that this administration is is moving along a path to get this thing resolved. Well, I've... I've pointed this out several times it's one of those rare cases that agriculture and epa seem to be uh working together in this going in the same direction on something instead of butting heads but where's the opposition on this don you know the opposition is you know they're in a position of really want to try to scare people they, they want to try to say people that you know number one your drinking water is at risk you know what there is nothing in this rule that changes one one issue or one line of the Safe Drinking Water Act or the regulations that implement the Safe Drinking Water Act, all of those are still in place. Uh, there's still tremendous amounts of conservation that is out there already on the ground. You know, Farm Bureau has been trying to, to help farmers and ranchers and as well as the, the non-farm public to understand just how extensive programs like EQUIP and CRP and CSP are out there on the landscape that, that are moving in the direction of not only protecting water, but but helping farmers improve their efficiencies and improve their productivity in ways that that is good for the environment and good for for the public at large. So, you know, we've got a really good story to tell. We just want to make sure that people understand that. So I guess uh, as far as trying to stay updated on this, it's moving. Maybe not moving as quickly as we'd like to see, but it is moving. And you see now the... uh, the uh, framework to get a deal done, right? Uh, we do, Mike, and I think uh, we've got it still work to do, but I think we're moving in a direction that, that we're going to see results very soon. All right, very good. Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, good to see you. Thank you, Mike. All right, coming up next, is Congress any closer to passing some disaster aid? Uh, going back to hurricanes and, of course, now Midwest flooding, uh, there's a lot of issues, a lot of uh, debate over Puerto Rico. And that's held things up. We're getting close to Memorial Day, and you know the hope is they would have something done by Memorial Day. Will they? We're going to get an update on that coming up next, and then later in the program, an update on African swine fever. So stay with us. We're broadcasting from Washington, D.C. Premium Diesel comes stay with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, 
nutrient-rich proteins. These solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In one of the first supply-demand forecasts for crops that largely still need a window for planting, USDA on Friday projected 2.485 billion bushels of ending stocks for corn, 970 million bushels of soybean ending stocks. Those numbers last week considered to be a bit bearish. If realized, a 15 billion bushel corn crop this year could be the second largest on record behind 2016-17. This week, Mike Adams, Sabrina Hill, and I are in Washington, D.C. for the National Association of Farm Broadcasting's annual Washington Watch events in the nation's capital. And we'd like to introduce a new voice to our farm team that you'll be hearing this week. With our Monday morning market numbers an hour into the trading day, here is Kirsten Rawl. On the trading board on this Monday's trading session, July soybeans down 14 and three quarters at 794 and a quarter. November down 14 at 819 and a quarter. July corn down five at 346 and three quarters. December down five at 367. Minneapolis spring wheat July down four and a quarter at 512 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat July down two and three quarters at 384 and a quarter. Chicago wheat July down two and a quarter at 422 and a half. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, June a dollar ninety-two lower at 110.52. Feeder cattle futures May a dollar forty-two lower at 136.20. In lean hog futures, June a dollar fifty lower at 88.17. In the outside markets, the Dow Jones is 534 points lower, and the S&P is down 65. And that's a check of your egg markets. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rall for the American Egg Network. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem... When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. You can be part of this battle, too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back again in Washington, D.C. today, broadcasting from the offices of the American Farm Bureau Federation. This afternoon, I'll have a chance to speak with leaders of several ag groups and talk about some of these issues like trade and uh, and uh, others, and uh, we'll be featuring them on tomorrow's program. But today we're taking a look at some of the issues with members of the staff of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Joining me now is R.J. Carney. He's Director of Congressional Relations for AFBF. I want to talk about disaster aid. R.J., thanks for joining us. Uh, so we've had some movement in the House. What about on the Senate side? So, uh, Mike, as you, oh, Mike, as you said, uh, thanks for joining me here at AFBF today. And uh, on the on the house on the house side, last Friday a bill passed out of the the house. Um, we've we've seen movement now. The house has passed two bills, uh, one back in January. Uh, now have updated their bill to include uh, flooding victims in the Midwest um, and also on farm uh, storage commodities as well. So there's been some additions to the house bill that AFBF supported and uh, was working through and, and, and getting that passed. Unfortunately, on the Senate side, um, we've yet to see any bill pass out of the Senate, and there's been a lot of tie-up um, on on if we're gonna we're gonna look for kernels of of optimism uh, on the Senate right now, especially for how long it's been taking. Um, 
and we did see some progress last week, uh, and that's the good news. Uh, Senator uh, Shelby and Senator Leahy, uh, both the chairman and the ranking member on the Appropriations Committee, are beginning to have conversations again, and there are proposals moving back and forth uh, between House or uh, between uh, Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats um, to try to get past uh, the political impasse, of specific, uh, specifically regarding Puerto Rico. Um, that's where a lot of the tie-up is occurring right now. Okay, so what did the House finally do with Puerto Rico, and is that going to fly in the Senate? Right now, uh, what the House has done is uh, passed a bill that includes the $600 million for nutrition assistance for Puerto Rico. Uh, that's a program that AFBF also supports funding fully at that $600 million. Um, but they also in- increased significantly other programs as well. Uh, not just within the agricultural department, but with other departments as well. On the Senate side, uh, the opening proposal looking back uh, to the bill would have been back in uh, March uh, was solely on that $600 million for nutrition assistance. Um, Senate Democrats are looking to increase some funding uh, for Puerto Rico. Uh, there's, um, that's, that's where all the discussions are occurring right now. Uh, most recently, uh, Senator Shelby did increase some additional funding uh, and make available some uh, more resources for Puerto Rico. And uh, right now we're waiting to see uh, what Senator Leahy uh, thinks of those. A lot of that's happening behind the closed doors, so not privy to how quickly it's moving. Um, <clears throat> but towards the middle of last week, uh, Senator McConnell came out and said he wants to have a bill passed uh, the Senate floor by the Memorial Day recess. Now we've heard some of these self-imposed deadlines before. Yeah, many um, times. Uh, going back to December of last year, uh, when when we were first looking to pass a disaster relief bill. So there's we're we're looking for those moments of of optimism, and as long as discussions are, and conversations are occurring, we we could see some progress within the next two weeks. We talked with R.J. Carney, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, looking at the uh, disaster package being worked on in Congress. Specifically, let's look at the House side. That's the bill we know we mm-hmm. what's there. We have something to look at. What is there for Midwest uh, farmers dealing with the flooding? So one of the uh, significant uh, additions for this most recent bill was the on-farm stored crops, um, and that's what's been significantly impacted over in the Midwest. Um, there's still the $3 billion in total funding for the wildfire uh, hurricane indemnity program. Um, but what it, that bill is going to do is open up access for the Midwest for the on-farm stored crop commodities and losses. Uh, on the Senate side, we're hearing continuing discussions that that will also be included with whatever possible proposal comes from the Senate as well. Um, there's, I, I, I would anticipate that that will be included. Um, the, the elephant in the room just, uh, to get something passed is going to be for Senate Republicans, Senate Democrats and the white house to get together and agree on a proposal. Um, what happens after the Senate passes a bill is going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be political pressure put then on the house that, listen, we have the president we have the Senate agreeing to uh, this bill, then is it going to go right over to the House and will they pass that directly or there have to be some type of conference that occurs? Uh, my understanding right now is the House, in their mind, they, they've passed a bill. They have, they have a proposal on the table um, and it's, it's going to take a, uh, a lot of political pressure uh, for them to just accept whatever comes from the Senate and the White House itself. I mean, yeah, it gets back to the same old thing. You have a democratically controlled House and a Republican controlled Senate, so there are going to be differences, and uh, you know, neither side wanting to they, both sides want to look like they're helping the people in need, but neither side wants it to look like the other side's helping more, right? It, it is, and, that, and really what it comes down to in Farm Bureau's perspective, and this is what we've been pushing on all of our advocacy and, and outreach to uh, both chambers of, of Congress and also to the White House is it's time for you to put your politics aside. Um, many regions of this country, looking at the Southeast specifically, 
nine months ago at this point where they're still calling for money and this has had um, disastrous impacts for farmers ranchers uh, rural communities and money is needed now and that's which really leads me to my next question they've been waiting for months and months if something does get passed by memorial day how long before aid dollars assistance actually gets to the people who need it we've heard from secretary purdue that it it would be a a quick changeover once a bill gets passed they will be able to start getting that aid out as quickly as possible Um, i I can't give you an exact timeline um, but i've heard the secretary say on numerous occasions he's going to get that money out to these regions impacted uh, as quickly as possible and that's one of the calls for action uh, farmers and ranchers need this money now. Um, AFBF, have, uh, we worked with uh, other commodity organizations and helped uh, send a letter up to Congress. This was before the, mm-hmm. uh, the two-week Easter recess with 135 uh, groups signing on saying compromise. Put away your political uh, gains that you're trying to achieve and help farmers and ranchers. And that's the thing that in a time of need, we've continually see Congress, a White House, come together and help solve those or help help those people in need. Because it should be bipartisan. It should be bipartisan. And uh, that's that's what's it's it's aggravating and difficult um, from a policy's perspective when they're they're digging their feet in the ground. Um, unfortunately, we saw this also with the with the shutdown. Um, when when both and and say hey it's my way or the highway, it's very difficult to get anything done, and that's something that's very uh, it's just not normal when we're talking about disaster relief. Disaster relief is typically both sides coming together. They know this needs to get done. They can put their differences aside and pass something that uh, is going to benefit farmers, ranchers, rural communities. Nothing seems to work that way anymore, right? So. Do we know, well, we'll have to wait to see what the Senate comes up with and then what they work out together. But when you have a a total package, a total number that you're going to work with, however much they appropriate, then is that will that be broken down specifically? This much goes to hurricane victims, this much goes to those affected by flooding in the Midwest? Or how does that break down then? So it's going to be uh, through the uh, wildfire hurricane indemnity program itself. Um, and then anyone who has had a presidential disaster declaration will be able to apply. access, apply okay. for that money, okay. uh, as long as you fit within that criteria, which is why it's so critical that that on-farm uh, commodity storage was included in the House uh, bill. And as we said in the Senate, that's critical as well. Um, now, that, that top-line number of $3 billion, there's still additional money that was going to USDA for other programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just that $3 billion. There's still additional money that's going. Uh, the total package in the House, I believe, for the the most recently passed bill was about $5.2 billion when you're looking total um, appropriate money. So we'll see. Would you say then if you've got a Memorial Day, supposedly Memorial Day recess uh, deadline, and we, as we said, we know how deadlines go in this town, but does that put this pretty close to the top of their – to-do list right now, do you think? I do. I, I think this is a top priority for, for members of Congress. Uh, coming out of the two-week Easter recess, they were hearing continuously from from farmers, uh, ranchers, rural communities that the time for action is now. And we, we heard uh, from leadership in both the House and the Senate that the time for action is now. This is going to be their top priority issue, I think, in the, before Memorial Day recess to see something done, to get something done. That's why I'm a little bit more optimistic uh, with this Memorial Day deadline than I was uh, before the Easter recess. Because quite frankly, I mean, we know that the political situation's a mess, but if the system is so broken that they can't even come together on this, it it, it would really be a sad commentary on the situation, wouldn't it, that it, we're in? It certainly would. RJ, thank you very much. Hopefully we'll hear soon about the... You know, something getting passed in the Senate, then get something worked out and get it get it to the assistance of the people that need it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. R.J. Carney, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. More coming up on AOA.
ักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักทักคาร์บอนบัฟฟอนจากจาก BASF It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level don reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. c a r b o n b u f f o n จากจาก BASF For time-proven performance you can trust. Everything else is just talk, 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 talk. To learn how c a r b o n b u f f o n จากจาก can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this. But you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You gotta go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy? No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org/caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up to date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Financial issues, farm or business problems, and fear of losing the farm impacts farmers' mental health. That's according to a, a new poll that is sponsored by the American Farm Bureau Federation. May is Mental Health Month, and we're talking now with Ray Atkinson, American Farm Bureau Federation Director of Strategic Communications. Ray, thank you for joining us. Tell us more about this poll that uh, Farm Bureau sponsored. We're all aware of the challenging farm economy right now. We know it's having an impact um, on farmers and ranchers. So uh, we partnered with, uh, we had Morning Consult conduct a research poll for us, uh, 2,000 rural adults across the country, and as you mentioned, financial issues are really on top. The top three things: financial issues, farm business problems, and fear of losing the farm are the top three things that we're hearing that are really uh, impacting farmers' mental health right now. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, 
to make our country safer, to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels and oil alternatives, solutions for a brighter, more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Here in Washington, D.C., at the offices of the American Farm Bureau Federation, joined now by Michael Nebu. He is an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. I want to talk about the situation with African swine fever. Michael, I guess, uh, you know, we don't, it's hard to get really accurate information out of China, but it sure appears that they have not been able to get that disease under control at this point. I think that is absolutely a correct statement. Um, with with China, uh, it really is a black hole of information. Um, it's really hard to figure out exactly what's going on there, but pretty much everybody agrees that what China is reporting, uh, I think they've officially reported about a million pigs cold, uh, that that is drastically underreported and the situation is much, much worse. They just haven't gotten a handle on it. And we know it has spread to some other countries. Yeah, so that's actually also concerning is the length of time it took ASF to work its way over to China took years, and it took a matter of six months to hit every single province in the country as well as islands off the coast. So the water isn't as much a barrier as people thought. And it took about a month to go all the way through Vietnam and cross over the border into Cambodia now. So uh, it, it really is spreading like fire through the region. Which brings the concerns back to the U.S. and this global economy and the movement that goes on. I know every precaution is being taken that can be, but uh, you just don't know, right? I mean, that's the big question. Can we keep it out of the U.S.? Uh, That is the big question. And, yes, you you don't know, and it's always a possibility that it could happen. But I I like to caution that it's not an inevitability that it's going to happen. Uh, Like you said, we are doing everything that we can to, to keep it out of this country. And it's not like USDA and the pork industry are just sitting on their hands. They're actively preparing for something to happen and to prevent it from getting into the country to begin with. So I I still have faith in the pork industry's uh, ability to keep this out for now. So we have this situation, and you don't wish bad on anyone, but here they are in China, a big pork-eating country, and they've had to kill all these hogs, maybe even more than we've heard about. So there's obviously that creates creates a market opportunity to sell pork into that country but because of the trade tensions between the u.s and china right now and the lack of a trade deal it makes it harder for us to be able to take advantage of that opportunity i think that's absolutely true um I think that it's hard to understate exactly how big of a deal this is going to be for global protein markets. It's not just a pork thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's going to be a chicken thing. It has the potential to be a beef thing as well. Um, In terms of, just to throw some numbers at you and give perspective, uh, some analysts are looking at a 30% reduction for 2019 in pork production in China. Now, a 30% reduction is about 16 million metric tons. A 20% reduction is about 11 million metric tons. Last year, 
the entire global trade of pork was only 8.4 million metric tons. So you're wow. looking at a potential reduction greater than all the pork that was sent anywhere uh, last year. Now, U.S. Meat Export Federation, um, they think exportable capacity in some of the export countries uh, could push that up to almost 12 million metric tons, but you're still below that 30%, barely above the 20%, and right now that pork is going elsewhere in the world. you still got Mexico eating pork. you still got Japan eating pork. It's, it's not like you're going to take it all away from them and send it to China. So you're going to have a massive reshifting on global protein flows, I think, is going to happen here. So at least, let's say they get a trade deal done sometime soon, hopefully. In the short term, it would impact negatively maybe the soybean sales we would have to China, but we would move those soybeans through the hogs that maybe the pork we would send to them, right? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, it's very unfortunate that let's say we do get a trade deal done um, and we can finally send more soybeans to the country. A lot of the pigs that they were getting the beans for the meal for are all dead at this point. Uh, but like you, you hit the nail on the head, uh, every time we send pork to another country, we're sending soybean in terms of animal protein to that, uh, to that country as well. Uh, additionally, uh, maybe another silver lining in China is the way the industry is really structured. Um, you don't have the majority of the pigs there being fed a commercial ration, a commercial feed, because they're not in the um, high bow security, uh, larger operations like they've imported U.S. or European knowledge to work on. A lot of these guys that are getting hit, and it's everywhere, it's hitting the big as well as the small operations, but you're seeing the small operations wiped out, and those aren't guys weren't feeding meal to begin with. They're feeding swill, basically, and whatever they could get their hands on. So uh, that's maybe a little bit of a silver lining, is a lot of the pigs that are being killed um, may not have been eating that much uh, soybean meal to begin with. Even with higher tariffs, are they still buying pork from us now? They are buying. So I uh, don't have those numbers right in front of me, but... Uh, beginning of this year, they started uh, making purchases. Uh, now, purchases do not always equal shipments, and they can still be canceled, but so far this year, we're already trending well above last year in terms of shipments as well. So I think even in spite of the tariff, uh, they are importing, or they are making more purchases of uh, soybeans uh, and pork is, not soybeans, sorry, they're making more purchases of pork, even with that 62% tariff. So we're going to still be sending meal in the terms of pork. This makes the impasse between the U.S. and China even more frustrating because it's like this door is there that would open to this huge opportunity right now because of the situation, and it's only partially open. As you said, we're selling a little bit, but if that door were to completely swing wide open, it would seem like a huge opportunity for us to move pork products into China. I, I think that that is true. Um, the trade tensions certainly are happening at a very poor timing in terms of what otherwise would be a great market opportunity for U.S. product. Uh, but you also can look on the bright side in terms of, well, now they might source more from EU or Brazil. Uh, well, they were sending it somewhere to begin with, uh, like I mentioned. So that may open up more opportunities for more opportunities for us to backfill into those other countries. Uh, still not the same as just sending it directly to China as, as we would have preferred, but uh, still at least somewhat of a silver lining. Which is a good point. I mean, you have to look at the whole, the global picture and the movement of product. And if someone else is going to provide them that pork, then that may create another opportunity for us in another country. But boy... You, you you want to be you want to have your foot in that door in that huge market of China, right? Yeah, you absolutely do, and I can agree with that. All right, Michael. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, see some uh, positive uh, uh, things happen on trade here soon. But this is one to keep an eye on for sure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Michael Nevue, economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. More tomorrow from here in Washington D.C. We'll talk with a number of ag leaders about some of these key issues. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thank you.